Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to ADAS Prevention 365. Prevention is every way in every day. I'm your host, Tiffany Tan with ADAP, and today is a very special episode in recognition of May's Mental Health Awareness Month. Although we are in June, mental health is more than just a month long. It's actually a lifestyle, and mental health needs to be maintained. It needs to be talked about, and it needs to be normalized. So that's what our conversation is about today. Um, I'm joined by Angela Bartholome, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a doctoral candidate. She's also the clinical director of ADAPS Treatment Services. So Angela, thank you so much for being part of this episode, this very special topic. Of course, thank you for having me. Thank you. So Angela, I just want to ask you straight off the bat, you know, how do I know if my mind is healthy? Um, Well, one of the most complex conversations, but it's actually really simple, (laughs) is that we, our minds want to be well. So it's going to do things to try to figure out how to be well. And some of those basic things that of, um, knowing that we're doing well is that it's active, it's learning, it's growing, it's taking information that we have around us and filtering out and knowing, is this good for me or not? Do I need this or not? Um, It's trying to sort out what's like these unfair comparisons, unnecessary judgments. Um, our, Our healthy mind wants to figure out how we can maintain the balance of emotional psychological, physical, social wellness, and it's going to just keep it moving and recognizes also um, when we're in dangerous situations or is something that we can feel safe and comfortable in. Um, But also it's it's very different for a lot of folks, but in general, your mind knows how to self-regulate. So some people, it might take a lot longer. Some people might have an adverse experience and can recover in minutes while other folks might need some time or it might be days, months, weeks, but it's still going to get you back to the place of being well. Right. And that's something that when you mentioned, I already have my own personal experience of when you say like, what bothers me and did I heal from that? Or did I talk about it? Um, something actually brought up when you were speaking about um, how do I know if my mind is healthy is, you know, would you say that it's also there's stages to this? Um, something that bothered me when I was a teenager may be different when I'm a lot older. Um, is there a, a sense of stages that that goes through um, with mental health and the Ill, mental health illness? So mental illness is it's different for everybody because even if I've studied it or whatever th- for years, doesn't mean that I don't experience these hardships also. Because our timeline, we it's so long, and there's no way that we can experience our life in our society in this society without acknowledging that we experience hard stuff, hardships, traumas, stressors, um, and and all of that has different impacts on folks. So if you and I, for example, my sister and I might have a very similar upbringing and a lifestyle, but how it might affect something might affect her would affect me maybe very differently. So even if um, we might know what the diagnostic criteria A, B, C, and D look like according to the books, we also have to know what does that look like for the individual? So when we're looking at the spectrum, sometimes it might be mild and like quick to self-regulate. Sometimes it's going to require more intervention and support. I think mental health, I think that's often a misconception is that there's a stage and it's going to look a certain way. But 
mental health is um, an illness looks so different person to person life stage. It might look different like depression as a young adult might look different like as an older adult um, and also might look different for people based on how much exposure they got to it or how much resiliency that they've developed over the time. So mental health is so unique. I'm sorry, mental health and mental illness is so unique to the individual that that's why having an individual like a therapist or a counselor, having that one-on-one opportunity to explore and access what you as a whole person bring at that time. Mm -hmm. Right. Actually, now when you said the word resiliency, that that strikes a core with like my personal life and just my family, the strong women who raised me. But I kind of have a a question that I want to throw at you, Angela. Resiliency versus burnt out. How do you take these two words? Um, I take resiliency as, you know, we, our minds want to be resilient. We want to learn how to recover from hardships, from stressors, from traumas. Sometimes our society makes it hard to recover as naturally or like organically as it would like to, because some of our social traumas aren't necessarily that natural, right? Mm-hmm. So we get into this place of like, yes, I knew how to recover from it one time. Okay, another time. Imagine being a person of color who immigrated from another place. That whatever factors that pushed you out of your homelands is a factor that learning how to be resilient when you made the decision to move. Mm-hmm. Or even the migration history had to trigger a degree of resiliency. Now you're saying like, oh, now I'm in a new lands with no support system. That's another resiliency. Now you have to learn a new language. Now you have to figure out what school is. You have to figure out A, B, C. Aren't you tired? So part of that resiliency is, yes, our mind is built for that. But it's also not fair to say that these are organic illnesses or that we're meant to always be resilient when these stressors weren't always organic or natural or healthy in the first place. Right. And even with that example, that that's, that's a representation of how my parents came to America. They had escaped the Khmer Gong, which is the Khmer Rouge, uh, still very, very sensitive for them to talk about. Um, but I had, I think now at this age, I'm able to kind of ask them more questions. I am older, so they can say that, you know, the the horrors behind what they went through and coming to America, they had support, but it was really much just figuring it out, getting lost on the bus, figuring out how to get to one place to the other without speaking English and, you know, leaning on each other for support, but really just coming to America for the first time after gone through hell. My mom actually says that like living in America her time here has been a new life. She actually says that she's won the lottery. And um, I think that's when it it strikes a chord that for me, I wanted to to talk about this as uncomfortable as I get, as maybe tearful as I get. I wanted to talk about this because it's so important, so important for me. But I also think that this is also really important for everyone else listening. Um, So when you mentioned that, you know, don't you get tired? That's so true. Um, somebody who's resilient for so long, it's almost as if they're using that muscle, you being on that flight versus fight versus fight for so long, they might get exhausted. That might lead into burnt out. Um, and moreover, just these unaddressed 
mental illness can hinder someone's ability to grow. So how have you seen this in, in terms of youth? Have you felt this, uh, or pardon me, have you observed this when, you, when you've worked with youth or even adult or young adults in, in regards to these unaddressed mental illnesses? Oh, all the time. Mm-hmm. Part of that is that a lot of our um, communities of color, immigrant communities, um, communities with limited resources, the people who've learned how to survive were like hyper resilient, knew how to survive. Let's say they're going to the gym, working out one bicep, right? Over and over and over. And then you're just kind of like, okay, then you have kids who are trying to teach them how to, you know, work out and do the same thing. But to the point that these kids are being exposed to less traumas, less survivor, maybe you raise them to not have to be exposed to that, but their exposure of traumas look different than how you knew how to raise one bicep, fix flex one bicep. You're these adults, a lot of times are so burnt out to use this one uh, muscle that by the time they're dealing with and working on raising the next generation, sometimes their traumas are showing up in that interaction. And so I've done intensive mental health with youth for a long time, as well as in substance use mental health integration, as well as, you know, a few other areas. And to hear that youth are still, especially these youth with different experiences and have this generational gap of connection. It's having to speak a new language to both sides. One was, let's say, American raised, locally raised, where like mental illness can actually be a conversation. And then you're dealing with these families who've had to survive and they speak a different language. They speak a social language. They speak a different emotional language. And so I see that as one of the most common gaps in a lot of our youth in in Los Angeles. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And when you said like this language, it, it is there's like almost like that love language right um I felt this in a sense of like a bowl of fruit um making rice um my parents have done this for my most of my life even now every now and then and I always felt that that was their way of saying come and eat because you know this is how you can nourish your brain so you can quite frankly be a more efficient worker let alone be healthy and I felt that that was always for me mental health had to do with food just because food was so delicious, but it just was the people who made it, 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 it felt like once you ate their food, it was, you felt their love. Um, that actually triggered a, a really powerful memory of myself when I was in college and I didn't know how to really, really cook. My mom had made a simple, but super delicious dish. It's, um, it's actually, it's, so it's called um, salama chu, but I have a feeling more than likely, um, there is a Filipino dish that's similar. And we call it salamachu, which is basically called sour soup. Um, but oh, it might be a similar dish as sinigang. If I, I hope I'm saying it correctly. Um, yeah, it and I rem- Because I think we use the very similar ingredients of the tamarind base. So I remember um, my mom had made it. She had free- frozen it. I ate it. Um, after I had thawed in microwave, but I remember I like, it was a stressful week, but then having her food there, home cooked food just reminded me of her love. And that for me, she was saying, go, keep going. Um, you can still, you know, if you can't make that grade level, a uh, grade A, you can still get that B and you can still go through finals. Don't worry. Cause you know, you're pursuing your higher education. That's what I want for you. That's going to be better for you. And I, I think that's what, when you spoke about that, I, I thought of a really a really positive, let alone just heartwarming memory about that. 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really nice that you all, you had that experience because I'm hearing somewhere in your history with your family, you created a um, an emotional marker of this is self care, this is uh, wellness, this yeah. is love, this is safety, right? Mm-hmm. And it's even if it's that bowl of soup, it's very loaded, and that's mm-hmm. why our, our wellness and our illness and our survival is different for everybody because some folks had that amazing load of, of language and then some folks didn't. And so to look at like how we recover from that is figuring out your customized experience. And I'm glad that you had those memories. So it's also part of why maybe like you have a little more fight or a little more energy sometimes than someone else that might have the same experience and just be like, I'm just tired. Right. And I can't explain. I'm just tired. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting how it shows up for us differently. But that means we have to work hard for ourselves to be well in that way. And even if let's say like, hey, it's a hard day and you didn't have that soup, I do the same thing. I come home, I'm just like, I need my comfort food. I'm going to make my the soup my grandma made for me because that's my self-care right now. Right. That's the messages that came in through generational love, right? And generational resilience. Right. Same thing <clears throat> where generational traumas might show up. We can have the generational resilience and and love factors too. And so some of these are natural forms of self-care, healing, and mental health, you know, maintenance that may not have the traditional therapy, but was passed down in this more organic, indigenous way. Absolutely. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful said. Um, And I think even with this conversation, it, it, I, I feel this sense of that you understand me, that you know, we go through these hardships, we go through something that's a customized experience. Um, but it all, all the more to say that mental health, this discussion is so important. And I want to bring up something that you said, you said that mental health needs to be maintained, just like dental care, just like physical health. Why do you think, unfortunately, there's a sense of not wanting to talk about it, but maybe dental health is a little bit more of a priority. Why, why did you think, or how did you think this came about? It's always been so complexly stim, stim, uh, stigmatized. We get dental health care once a year. We do physicals once a year. We're supposed to do some kind of mental health checkup regularly also. I personally go every two to three years because I do so many self-care strategies. I do a mental health checkup for myself with my mental health therapist, provider, or a counselor and review like, hey, this is what I've been going through. These are some big things that have happened last year. This is how I've dealt with it. Um, can, I, can you help me like process out if there's anything else I'm missing to maintain my wellness? Because sometimes we overlook how we can function and look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, hey, I'm getting more stomach aches than I used to. I'm getting headaches that aren't part of my usual like you know, wellness, like this is not normal for me to get this. Um, I've been getting more sick lately because we're all one, you know, mind and body is all connected. So if we can only maintain, um, I'm sorry, we can only neglect one part so much until our mind is like, all right, no, you have to put a little attention there. So that's what I look at is mental health has to be managed just as well as physical health, dental health, you know, social health. Absolutely. And I think now more than ever, even with everyone's shared experiences or shared differences with COVID-19 and how 2020 is 
everyone had an experience. Um, in the beginning, it was a lot of scare, a lot of fear, fear of myself too. Um, just what you see on social media, what you see on the news. And this was such a new experience for lack of better word for everyone on a global world. So I think this word of mental health was tossed around the word of self-care was tossed around, but it's so important even after now when it looks a little bit more optimistic because summer is coming, uh, vaccinations are now available. But it all, it's very much like the world is opening up. And I think now it's like mental health still needs to be maintained through talking, through, you know, the course of food and and being connected with one another after this, this experience that we all went through as a whole world. And are healing from too of what not only happened during COVID-19, but the social issues that were happening and was being addressed um, in the United States. I think that's something that there are so many layers and one can only observe before it, it, it affects them. Yeah. Yeah. It, before it gets too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that brings up a conversation that I've had with a lot of people is that one of the common mental illnesses that we see is PTSD. And one of the frustrating things for me as a social worker, and also I'm historically a community organizer, is that trauma was not original. It's not innate. It's not. It's one of the few mental illnesses that aren't organic or body chemistry or a, you know, something that happens without an external factor. So this is going to really require us this period in our time of seeing a lot of like, in social injustices, a lot of active racism, a lot of like fear from white supremacy. We're having to really identify what does self-care look like? And sometimes for folks, it's taking their boots to the ground and staying active. And it's being you know, community involved. And sometimes it's just turning off your phone. For some folks, it's also knowing that this is my boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have like my self-care tools that I do as a regular check or like, hey, I'm just not feeling right. What did I not do right? Mm-hmm. Like, did I not drink, have I been drinking enough water? have I been nourishing my body and eating well, not just like I ate junk fast, but did I eat good food well? And did I sit with it? Mm-hmm. Did I sleep enough? Have I moved enough? Have I um, wiggled and like, I'm sorry, have I socialized enough with healthy people for me? And sometimes we forget that our self-care can be simple. Um, it can be also just, I took a, a shower and just didn't listen to anybody else. Like, banging the door, my turn in the bathroom or whatever. Right. Sometimes it's like, I took a nap earlier than I, you know, I took a nap. Right. Or I asked my mom for help on something that I might be a little too stubborn for sometimes. Right. So self-care is saying that this is my to-do list and I'm allowing myself to do this because I need this and I deserve to feel well. One thing that I've incorporated that I like that you brought up that, you know, you wanted to kind of pull away from social media because it may have gotten too much for you. Maybe you were spending too much time. For me, I felt that it social media helped to an extent until it got dull. I, to me, that word, it makes sense for me to describe social media for myself since I was on it too much because it was, you know, I wanted to see the funny videos and people were getting really creative during, during, um, during, uh, stay-at-home orders. And that was true. It, it, it offered me to laugh, but it also offered me a, a, the downside of social media that I was on it too much. And I realized, whoa, you know, I 
did I move? Not really for the past three hours. I was still stuck, hunched over my postures and all that. Um, so it, it's, it's, you got to find that healthy balance too. And alongside of, of, you know, pulling away from maybe social media when it got too unhealthy was like, for me, it was actually affirmations. Mm-hmm. I always thought surprisingly they were cheesy. Um, I thought that like, oh, you know, I should already feel it myself that I, I am all this and that or um, whatever affirmation that I truly felt. But now it's true. And sometimes some other people may say, you know, you fake it till you make it. But I always felt that that affirmation was for me to understand that I need to believe in myself and I need to have confidence in myself to get through this day when I might feel like I just want to stay in bed or it's the weekend. I need to relax because I worked so hard in the week. But I always felt that affirmation now at this age for me feels like it's the it's my little self-care reminder. And it really just puts me in a, a boosted mood because who else can prep me up more than myself, you know, and who else needs to believe in myself? Everyone can believe in me, but I need to believe in myself first. And I felt that affirmations, whatever affirmations I felt that day were the ones that I was going to take to heart and keep in mind during my lunch break, during, you know, phone calls to my mom or, you know, to get through the tasks of the days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that brings up one last thought that I was having was that like one of the biggest things that I see why mental health can be so hard for folks is that there has to be this like honesty of the self of like what they deserve, what they need. And the self-awareness of like, hey, I don't feel that well all the time, or I feel great. And this is why. Mm -hmm. So we're able to identify what helps me feel healthy and well and balanced. What helped me feel loved and in control and focused? What didn't? Mm -hmm. So knowing like having our checklist, having our like um, affirmations, our self-care tools, our, our healthy community can be the bigger picture of what mental health is. Right. And we can't change some of those like external stress factors, but we can incorporate what works for us and figure out how we still maintain that sense of power and control and awareness to our, ourselves and our environments. Right. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful. And I think just talking with you, I feel like this sense of normalcy that with just our conversation together, I felt open to just share with you how, how I've incorporated mental health and self-care long-term for, for my life. Um, I, I really appreciate this visual aid that you had. It was aesthetically so beautiful. It was a bright yellow poster that had mental health is on the left side column. And then you had isn't on the right side column. And mental health is important. Mental health is something that everyone has. Um, and it's a list. And just reading off some of them says that mental health is intrinsically linked to physical health. Um, and then on the, on the other side, mental health isn't a sign of weakness. It isn't shameful. It isn't all in your head. And the whole all in your head is something that even needs another discussion about it because you know people have felt that, people have been said that, and it really diminishes what someone's going through. And it might even push them back to wanting to get help. Mm-hmm. So I thought that just like that image was such a clear way for anyone to understand and just to really clarify, let alone normalize that mental health needs to be talked about. And it's sensitive, but, you know, every now and then you need a good cry. And I always felt that that good cry would be something where you're being real with yourself. 
and you know you're not you're not being you're allowing yourself to feel the emotions feel the reactions why did you react this way why did you respond this way you know and it, i think once it gets to that root of identifying that you're one step better mm-hmm. after after a cry or after a rant or after you know positive steps those things are just so healthy to like create this normalization of our process we all have a process and it takes a lot for folks to acknowledge that hey my process might be different than yours but sometimes i have to speak it out loud sometimes i'm going to write it out loud sometimes right. i'm going to form it in in art sometimes going to put it into my food and my love those kind of things are accustomed to our own process but that's why it's healthy to have that team a therapist a a religious uh, support figure um you know faith uh, a partner to help us like sort out all of the messages we get sometimes when our brain can be overloaded. Right. Absolutely. Now, what would be, what are your, what are, what are the resources available for our listeners or maybe listeners who have someone in mind that may help? What, what are the resources out there for somebody? I, I've always found that NAMI um, National Alliance of Mental um, Illness is one of those resources that just provide a lot of information. And there's one in every region. So even in LA, we have the Long Beach one and LA one, a, uh, you know, different parts of LA too. Um, And it's a national organization that provides information, education, also access to resources. Um, As we know, like Asian American Drug Abuse Program or organization does provide substance abuse treatment as well as some, like we incorporate uh, mental health in that part because it's part of our wellness approach. And I think ADAP does it in a beautiful way that it's very family oriented um, so that it doesn't feel like so solitary in your recovery of mental illness as well as with co-occurring substance use illness. Um, another one that I've, I've found helpful over the years is DMH access line, just to call to see if you... Um, just what kind of resources are you interested in just to get information or, or even link to some of those. And also all insurance carriers, all health plan carriers do have a mental health access to resources. So you can ask your primary care provider, look at the back of the card, or even just call 211, which is a like Los LA County social service helpline. Just explore what is available out there. You're not going to run out of information. And sometimes it's just talk to a trusted person. It might be your pastor. It might be, you know, your priest. It might be um, someone of faith. It also might be like a friend that's just helped you feel safe in talking about how you're processing these hard, hard times. Right. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing us about NAMI and the resources that's available. Um, so we will include these information that Angela had mentioned uh, in in the description box, uh, let alone the um, information as well. And I agree, uh, we need conversations like this. We need these candor, unashamed conversation. I already feel better about this after speaking with you. Last question, Angela, what is your takeaway message? Um, mental health care is a lifestyle. It's how we approach our day-to-day. It's how we approach our community. It's how we approach ourselves. Um, so I, I hope people know that it's like, sometimes you might need professional support. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes we, 
lost track of our wellness strategies. So how we get back onto that um, momentum, it's a lifestyle change that you owe and deserve to feel well. Beautiful. Thank you, Angela. Um, so more than ever, we need to find ways to stay connected. Um, no one should feel alone and without the information or the support and the help that they need. And so with that, I say thank you, Angela, for sharing. Thank you, Angela, for listening um, and being part of this as well. Um, so thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, for today's very, very special, special episode. Please join us every Wednesday at Prevention 365 podcast on Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, Spotify and Apple Music. You may also find our episode on youtube.com slash ADAP Inc. That is A-A-D-A-P, People Need People. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.